A search and rescue mission was curtailed on February this year when panic broke out amongst the police dogs. All were seen to run off with no apparent cause. When asked why they were unable to control their animals, police say they have no leads. Graham Tripping of Hartshorn, Derbyshire, has been collecting horseshoes for nearly 50 years. He has amassed approximately 8,000, which he keeps scattered across the verges of A-roads all across the country. Following a UFO sighting that she reported to the police, Miss Irene Swanson of Victoria Gardens, Taunton, received a visit from a mysterious man in black. The gentleman evaded the guard dog and broke into her bedroom and escaped on horseback, leaving only a box of mid-range milk chocolates and a silhouetted photo, on the back of which was written the phrase, We are not alone. At last, we found the secret chamber deep beneath the Great Pyramid of Giza. Look at those inscriptions. Fascinating. I hereby name this the Clitoris Chamber. The what? The clitoris chamber. Are you sure that's wise? Absolutely. I spent 17 years of my life speculating as to what and where it is. And now we've finally found it, I've got absolutely no idea what to do with it. Welcome to this week's episode of Star Patrol. Treachery on Mars. And here's your commander, Captain Buzz Corey. Hello everyone, and welcome aboard the Terra 4 spaceship. Our mission is to keep the space lanes clear, a task which we happily perform in a slightly ruthless fashion against aliens with Russian accents. Captain, there's what appears to be a derelict missile floating in space, but which is actually being controlled from the planet Mars. Action stations. Dr. Carlyle, as my scientific advisor, do you think we can destroy it with our disintegrator ray? A disintegrator ray, Commander? Yes, you know, zap, disintegrate. That sort of thing. Well, speculating for a moment, that sounds like some sort of antimatter device, which I think would pose serious problems for containment on board a space-going vessel, and almost certainly some health and safety concerns. Frankly, I'm not sure such a thing could exist. We're hit! Damn it, Carlyle! If only that disintegrator ray had been scientifically plausible. Now we're crashing on Mars! No point in having a scientific advisor if I don't advise you, Corey. Join us next week for another exciting episode of Star Patrol. Imagine a scene. A family at home in the evening. Outside, a bitter wind blows, but inside is safety and shelter. A fire burns brightly in the grate. A dinner burns brightly in the oven. Father and mother sit listening to the wireless while a child plays happily amongst the washing up. A typical cosy domestic scene But what if we were to replace the child with an intruder bent on destroying family life, and the father with a rabid dog, and the fire with a giant kipper? Well, that would be a different story altogether. We Are Not Alone presents The Damned Village. Come along there. Get your blasted army truck out of the road. This area is closed off, sir. May I take your name? Major Alan Bernard. Ah, good morning, sir. Now, what's going on here? I've been trying to contact Professor Zellerby in Midwich, all the phones are down. So I arbitrarily jumped in the car and drove the 300 miles from Whitehall up here. It seems there's some sort of invisible barrier, sir. Uh, mind if I take a look? It's invisible, sir. Hmm, so I see. Anyone who passes this point falls unconscious. We're about to push in that budgie cage on the end of a pole to see what happens. Will it work without the budgie in it? No choice, sir. The animal rights mob were up in arms about it. Uh, how about a mouse? No joy, sir. They accepted an ant, but we couldn't tell if it was awake or asleep. Sir, I'd like to volunteer to go in with this rope tied round me. Uh, So we can tug you back if you black out? Uh, No, I'm just into S&M, sir. Oh, let's do it, Jones. Uh, Put your uniform back on first, though, there's a good lad. Yes, sir. What the devil's going on here? Hello, George. They're just tying this man up and making him walk down the road. Mind if I watch? How are you doing, Jones? Feeling a bit 
Where is he, actually, sir? Quick, put him back. He's completely out of it. Stand back. I know some basic first aid. Now, come on, man. Snap out of it. Oh, I'm stamped. Dear George, you're the doctor. Why didn't you ever go? Look, he's coming round. It's not just him. The whole town is waking up. Come. You wanted to see me, sir? Yes. I understand you were on the ground at the Midwich event. Yes, sir. The whole village was cut off from the outside world for several hours. There was something over the place that made the people fall unconscious. It was static, odourless, flavourless, non-metallic, and didn't register on the radar or a Geiger counter. Could it have been a craft cheese slice? We don't think so, sir, but it's too early to be sure. The truth is, we don't know what it was, or what the long-term effects are going to be on the inhabitants of Midwich. Welcome to this week's episode of Star Patrol, the doomed planet. And here's your commander, Captain Buzz Corey. Hello everyone, and welcome aboard the Terra 4 spaceship. This week we've received a distress call. They say they have seconds before their entire planet explodes, Captain. No problem. We'll beam them aboard with our teleport device. I think there might be a problem there, Captain. Here we go. Well, let's assume we can overcome the actual problem of disintegrating and reconstructing a human being. Yes. Well, by my estimation, there are 10 to the power of 12 bits of information, which, with the technology currently available, would take us about 9,600 years to transmit successfully. It's too late, Captain. The entire planet has exploded. Shit. Join us next week for another exciting episode of Star Patrol. So, Professor Smith... Williams here tells me you've reached a milestone with the teleportation project. Indeed, sir. We've reached the halfway mark of the program, sir. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Show me what you've got. Well, if we could have a volunteer... Williams? Sir? Excellent. So if you'd like to stand on the platform there, that's fine. So what we've developed is a six-stage process. Firstly, we must break up the candidate into pieces small enough to transmit. First, we go through a dicing. (laughs) This is followed by a mincing process. And finally, a grinding stage. The candidate is then a sufficiently fine paste to pass through these glass pipes here. I see. Uh, What happens next? Well, sir, you know I said we'd only got halfway through the project. Following the mysterious events that occurred at Midwich, when the entire population fell unconscious for several hours, I initially suspected that one of my old university professors who lived in the area had been giving a lecture. The man himself gave me a call after a few days, requesting that I come and speak to him in person, about his wife, Anthea. Professor, I came as soon as I could. Ah, Alan, thank you for coming down to Midwich. I realise it's a long way for you. Not to worry. I inexplicably pop down here every couple of days. How's Anthea? Anthea? Your wife? Ah, you know, I don't know where she is. I'm standing next to you. Ah, hello, dear. When's the baby Jew? He's not a Jew. He's Church of England, like us. I wonder if I might speak to Alan alone for a moment, dear. Yes, of course. Alan, I'm concerned about the baby. You know how since there was that strange blackout in Midwich, every woman got pregnant. Well, I don't like to tell the professor. I'm still here. Would you mind waiting outside for a moment? There's a darling. Oh, yes, of course. You see, I'm concerned that the baby might not be his. I'm still here. Would you just... just wait outside for a moment? Yes, of course. 
the tests showed that the fetus was unusually advanced. So you think the baby might be the evil spawn of some terrible alien being? Actually, that hadn't occurred to me. (laughs) I shouldn't let it trouble you. After all, it could be worse. It could? Yes. It could come out like the professor. I'm still here. Oh, for goodness sake. Ah! Oh, the baby! I think it's coming. No, I'll go and let him in. But it can't be. You're only three months in. Are you sure? Well, that answers that question. Oh, look, a baby. It's a baby. A sweet little goo-goo, bibbidi-boo. Oh, look at his little pipe and tweed jacket. I say, Father, be a sport and rustle us up a snack. I'm famished after spending three months up there. How romantic, darling. Our first house together. Carry me over the threshold. Will you still love me when I'm old and racist? I doubt it, but I expect we'll stay together for the children. What's that noise? It's coming from the attic. Oh, no. I think we have an infestation of the little people. Midgets. No, darling. Fairies. Oh, homosexuals. No, the fairy folk. The little people with wings. Oh, I see. The RAF. This is potentially a very dangerous situation. We could easily bring down their malice upon us and curse our new home. May I introduce myself? My name is Braxton Theosophical and I am a practiced fairy extermination agent. I have a 100% success rate in fairy exterminations. Once gone, they never return. How did you know to come here? I've done this house before. Now, would you like me to show the little fellows a thing or two? What do you use? Rowan? Four-leaf clover? DDT. Gets rid of anything. I don't know about you, but I can't stand these little fellows. Victimized in their home state and stereotyped as drunken and violent, they have no real home, and so travel around selling scrap metal. Still wouldn't want them in my attic. I expect you're on a fairy road. There you go, every last one of them dead. How much do we owe you? Oh, my work is its own reward. I'll be seeing you. I'd better just check in the attic, make sure everything's okay. Oh, no. What is it? The flap of leathery wings, hundreds of little eyes penetrating the dark. Do you mean... Yes, we've got vampires, and they're a protected species. Kibworth, Leicestershire, and Brian Relevant has been conducting studies into sightings of an enormous black dog. The animal has a long history in the area and is said to appear before moments of disaster and loss, specifically before the disappearance of slippers. Deborah and Alan Vacuous write to tell us that they recently moved house from Derbyshire to the town of Miserable in Essex. Their pet cat, Stradivarius, staged a last-minute escape around Matlock, but somehow managed to find them, reappearing at supper time seven days later. Mr. and Mrs. Vacuous were rightly astonished and moved a further four times before they could shake the little bastard off. Hello, come in. What can I do for you? Hello, Doctor. It's my chest. It's burning. I see. Well, it could be indigestion. How long has it felt like this? It doesn't feel like that. It's actually burning. It's on fire. I see. Yes. Now, those flames suggest to me that you're running a bit of a temperature. Have you tried the fire brigade? They tried putting it out, but apparently it's burning from within. Mm. Well, I'm thinking it could be a case of spontaneous human combustion. Let's check a few things. Firstly, did you plan this? No. Well, that sounds spontaneous. Are you human? As far as I know. And you appear to be on fire, so you certainly meet what I would term the three main criteria for spontaneous human combustion. Now, typically in these cases we look for a source of ignition. Do you smoke? Only where it comes into contact with my clothes. Have you spent any time recently around anything particularly hot or eaten any particularly spicy foods? No. Well, I'm afraid there's not much I can do. 
The disease will typically run its course in a few hours and consume the entire torso, leaving extremities such as the feet untouched. On the plus side, it usually doesn't damage the furniture. Is there nothing you can do? Oh, you mustn't worry about me. I'll be fine. Welcome to this week's episode of World of the Future, where we take a sneak peek into the goings-on in the year 2000, when we'll all be 50 years older and too tired and knackered to care anymore. Today, we're going to take a trip for real. Yes, we're going to visit the airport of the future. And here's Nancy, who's going to show us how it all works. Hello, Nancy. You're looking tired, Nancy. Is that because you had to get up early? In the airport of the future, there are lots and lots of flights, some of them to far away foreign places. Flights are very expensive because oil is extremely scarce. And only an idiot would let people fly long distances at low cost when it does such a lot of harm to the planet, wouldn't they? So normal people have to get up very early to catch the flights that people with money don't want. In the future, we can be sure that Nancy's flight will leave on time. This is because weather prediction is now almost as accurate as looking out of the window. A hurricane can be spotted very early, then tracked across the Atlantic, giving us plenty of time to sit back and do nothing as it slams into the coast of North America, leaving thousands homeless. Nancy is now at the check-in desk. This is completely automated, which unfortunately means you don't get to meet the cheery nice people at the budget airline check-in desks anymore. See how Nancy puts her suitcase on the belt? See how the machine grabs the bag and flings it through the little hole in the wall? See how it accidentally snares Nancy's dress and tears it. You did remember to take your plane ticket out of the bag, didn't you, Nancy? No? Silly girl. You'd better go through the hole and get it back. The baggage handling in the airport of the future is all automatic. This means it thinks Nancy is a bag. Oh dear. That's not very nice, is it? Welcome to this week's episode of Star Patrol. Engine trouble. And here's your commander, Captain Buzz Corey. Hello everyone, and welcome aboard the Terra 4 spaceship. We're coming in to land at Earth's main spaceport, so strap in everyone. Your rate of descent is a little steep, Captain. We could burn up on re-entry. Don't worry, Carlisle. This ship is made out of endurium, the hardest element known to man. Permission to speak, Captain? Go on. Well... Given the structure of the periodic table, it's extremely unlikely that a new element would be found with the properties you describe. Unless, of course, it was incredibly unstable and highly radioactive. Right. Right. Fire up the iron drives and, and let's get this thing slowed down. Captain. What? It's just that an ion drive operates through the Lorentz force, which is only capable of providing a force approximately a thousandth that of gravity. What are you telling me? We're going to crash, sir. Rockets? We must have rockets. It's unlikely that a ship of this size would have sufficient rocket fuel to both escape the Earth's atmosphere in the first place and be able to return to the surface. I see. What do you suggest? Well, the physics suggests you should sit back and try to relax, Captain. By my reckoning, we have about six minutes before we hit the Earth's surface at approximately 200,000 metres per second. Damn. I bet Dan Dare never had this problem. Join us next week for what could be a very short episode of Star Patrol. So, that's the Chinese and American space vehicles that'll be used in the race to reach the moon. Now we go over to the British entry. Good evening. This looks to me like a giant rocking horse. That's correct. I see. And how exactly are you going to get it to the moon? Simple. Rocket. Professor Zellaby, we've conducted a number of tests on the children of Midwich. 
despite only being six weeks old and all born prematurely, they're displaying the physical characteristics of eight-year-olds. And mental maturity far in advance of that. I don't accept that. Father, could you fetch me another whiskey? Just a moment, my boy. I've got visitors. What did you call him, by the way? We named him after his father, Professor. Have you considered the possibility that Professor isn't your child? What? Don't be ridiculous. He's got the family strawberry blonde hair, glowing yellow eyes and telekinetic powers. Your hair is black. Don't you think it's unusual that all the children in the town were born on the same day? Don't be silly. Everyone is born on their birthday. And they all look the same? Five of the children were seen taking control of the driver of a car telepathically and forcing him to drive into a wall. He was engulfed in a ball of flame. Cheap foreign manufacturer. I think you're just contradicting everything I say. It's perfectly natural for a parent to want to protect their children. No, it isn't. But we have to accept that these children can read minds and are extremely dangerous. They are not human children. No, you're right. I've suspected it all along. This is not my child, right? When do we burn the bastards? Let's not be too hasty now. Oh, Anthea, if you had to sleep with someone, why did it have to be an invisible alien force field? After check-in, we have to go through security. Oh, don't worry about the bag you checked in. The baggage handling system lets the men look at the contents of your bag as it goes through. It does this using the latest technology, which tears it open and spills all your clothes on the floor. Can you see Nancy's pants? That's embarrassing, isn't it, Nancy? Now the security men go through your hand luggage. This is because in the future, flying is the safest way to travel. And so to make up for this, the airport people like to massively inconvenience you. Otherwise, everybody would want to fly, wouldn't they? Yes, Nancy. You're only allowed to take small amounts of liquid, so the men will take your vodka and gin. Didn't you know? Never mind. I'm sure they'll dispose of it responsibly. Planes of the future are powered by rockets and travel at a thousand miles an hour, so our plane will only take an hour to get across the Atlantic. To make up for this, you have to leave three hours for check-in. I hope you left lots of time, Nancy. No? Is that the final call for your plane? You'd better run! In the future, airports are huge and built on huge rotating mechanical devices that allow them to restructure so that your boarding gate is always the furthest from check-in. There's the gate, Nancy. It's closing. Nancy, run! I'm sure you can get through there. Quickly! Never mind, Nancy. On the plane, I expect people are sitting in scientifically designed comfort in enormously spacious seats, eating freshly baked food and sipping at cocktails that are provided free of charge by the airline. But we won't get to see that now. Not to worry, Nancy. There will be another flight going that way at the same time tomorrow. Although you'll need to buy a new ticket, of course. And your luggage will be shredded, both for security reasons and because it's the only way airport workers get any job satisfaction nowadays. Not to worry. I expect you can sleep in the airport. Night-night, Nancy. Night-night. Thank you for coming, ladies and gentlemen. Today we're going to show you the future. What we're about to show you is quite literally the foundation of future society. We call it bureaucracy. Now, I'm going to talk you through it, but before we can show it to you, for security reasons, we need you all to fill in this form. And this one. And this one. And also this one. 
and this one, and, and this one. I tell you, Major Bernard, there is no other option. The children have become far too powerful. They've moved out of the village into a converted barn where they now all stay together. But destroying them? Are you sure? Absolutely. In a few short years, they will have control over all mankind. We must act now. I have built this bomb. Don't be ridiculous. They'll read your mind the moment you walk into the barn and stop you. Probably kill you. They won't. I've been practicing over the last couple of weeks and have built up tremendous powers of constant... Oh, look, a bomb. Where did that come from? What was I saying? I might make a cup of tea. I'll be back in a moment. Major, do you think this will be the end? Will the nightmare be over? Will it destroy him? I think so, yes. You'll never see his glowing eyes again. I meant the professor. I think so. Brick wall. Think of a brick wall. Brick wall. Brick wall. Hello, children. Now, I'd like to talk to you today about a bomb. No, not a bomb. Obviously not a bomb. What I meant was a brick wall. No, a school trip. Would you like to go to the zoo? Father, what's that in your briefcase? A bomb. No, no, it's not a bomb. It's a brick wall. Why would you have a brick wall in your briefcase? Never mind that. Who wants to go to the zoo? What are you hiding from us, Father? We will find out. No one. Does no one want to go to the bomb in my briefcase? Oh, father, you bastard. And as the flames died out, the debris fell from the skies. We were sitting in the hushed, dark atmosphere of the cinema and heard the sound of money-changing hands and the whispers of screenwriters, the sound of pencil on paper. And we knew that somewhere, somehow, the children would return. So the next time you fall asleep in the middle of the day, or your wife is unexpectedly pregnant, or your neighbourhood is overrun with children with a severe disregard for authority, and where the adults walk around in fear and trepidation, remember that we are not alone. We Are Not Alone was brought to you by Timothy Hounson, Alice Cubbin, Lisa Walsh, John Thrower, and the runner-up in this year's Mr. Universe contest, Matthew Nation. It was written by John Thrower, with contributions from the cast, and edited by Nathan Rowe. Music, and this episode, features the We Are Not Alone theme by Andrew Webb, and Snow Queen, Netherworld Shanty, and the Dance of Questionable Tuning by Kevin MacLeod. For a full set of credits and attributions, visit our webpage at www.wearenotalone.co.uk. We are also available for virtual stalking via Facebook and Twitter. <laughs>